Welcome to Calvary HSM Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope this blesses you. Amen. Well, welcome to HSM at the 5 p.m. service for meeting for the first time. My name is Aaron Kanjumba. Um, if you're here in the room, what's up? If you're watching online, good to meet you guys uh, through uh, the screen and all those good things. Well, uh, first of all, before we jump into our message, this five-week series we've been talking about, dating, kissing, sex, and stuff. This is the second part of our five-week series. Uh, today we're talking about what it means for us to be a people who have a dating playbook. Practically, what does it look like for us to live, like, live in love like Jesus and do just that? So, before we get into that, I'd like to, one, uh, acknowledge those who served at our uh, event on Friday, which was Joy Unleashed. Kudos to all of you who came out, over 140 students, 140 were dates, and then a few more uh, hung out and just hyped the crew as you were here. Thank you. I could not be more proud of all of you guys because joy was unleashed. It was a straight party in this room. It was amazing. So much fun, and we get to do this every year. Thank you for giving your talent, time, emotion, and being so compassionate to the VIPs who came. So... What we're going to do today, again, is talk about the dating playbooks. If you have your Bibles, just open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we're going to be parked today. We'll be a few other scriptures we'll roll around over, but that's where we're going to be today. And as we jump into uh, this text uh, this evening, we're going to talk about three things. And so these three things are going to be this. One, what is dating? Two, how to date? And three, who to date? One, what is dating? Two, how to date? And three, who to date? And so when we are able to go through these three things, we'll be able to realize the answers we're going to find in Scripture. The real purpose of this sermon series is not just to talk about dating, kissing, sex, and stuff, praise God. It's to talk about how to think through things in a biblical perspective. That's one. I want you to train you guys, to teach you guys that the Bible truly has everything pertaining to life and godliness. Life, day-to-day life. How to pay your taxes. It's in there. How to not make your wife mad. It's in there. How to not be late for things. It's in there. All that stuff is in the book, the Bible that God has given us. And so one, and then the second thing is going to be this, that we begin to be a people who pursue holiness, to pursue holiness. And that's the purpose of the sermon series. And I was used as a vehicle of dating, kissing, sex, and stuff. Let's jump into it. And I'm going to just pray real quick, and then we'll jump into the message. Lord, thank you for this time. We ask that you bless everyone in this room, the ones who hear this, whether it's now or in years to come, that this would be a word for them to hold on to, to build family for legacy, Lord, and that you will um, allow them to make decisions that allow them to live and love just like you would. And now God's people said, amen. Awesome. Question one, what is dating? Is it hooking up? Is it just talking? Because people just be talking all the time. We're just talking. You just talk, 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 and talk, and there's nothing actually happening. We have to define the relationship, whether it's using the Urban Dictionary, which is kind of unclear and very vague, if you guys look it up on your own time. But I I want to assume that once you've had uh, your pickup lines, whatever you've you've said, maybe you've said something like, um, I'll cross the Red Sea for you, or um, uh, there's another one that we could use very quickly, something like, um, um, I, I was going through the book of Numbers, girl, and I don't have yours. Um, uh, there's just multiple ones. Uh, there's another one that's in my spirit stirring because God is moving in this room. Um, the, the other one would be something like, I know why Solomon had 600 wives because he never met you. Um, um, 
like Ruth, I would lay at your feet. And I'm, I don't know. There's so many. There's many. There's so many. Anyway, the point is this, right? After having those conversation, uh, this is basically Bible riz, praise God. Um, once you've gone past, like, this, these conversations and all that stuff, you get to a place where you are dating. And the question is, what is dating? We're going to define dating as this. Dating is intention, intentionally pursuing someone with the purpose or, or, or who has the potential of, of marrying them. Intentionally pursuing someone with the potential of marrying them. You're pursuing someone who has potential of marrying them. That's the purpose of dating. And so what is dating for? That's a real question. After hearing that idea, after hearing that free riz, praise the Lord. After hearing, if you know what riz is, praise God, you will be fine. Uh, after hearing all these things, what do you do? The question is, what is dating for? Dating then is for uh, uh, for us to have this one clear thing. Dating is not for us to have a good time. Dating is for a good legacy. Dating is not for a good time. It's for a good legacy. It's for generation upon generation upon generation of goodness to be flowing down to the other generation. That is why we are in a dating relationship, which is why I hope you are in a dating relationship. Now, to be clear, as we go through this evening, my intention is not to have people break up We'll see. Uh, my intention is not to have people uh, do anything except do this. One, if you're in a relationship right now, to feel the weight of what it means to be in a dating relationship and to take it seriously. And if you're single and your parents said you have to be single till you're 18 or 19 or 25 or 30, I don't know what your parents have said. But wherever you are, then to look at your life and to take this idea of dating seriously. Because dating is not for a good time. It is for a good legacy. And ultimately, we've talked about how in God calling us to holiness, God is inviting us to receive, to receive and to fight for our joy in him. And so everything we talk about this night and all these different services is this, to remind us that God is calling us to holiness. And in calling us to holiness, Jesus, God, is calling us to receive our joy in him. John R. W. Start said this, and he's a, a famous theologian. He said, the secret of holy living lies in the mind. The beginning of thinking of how dating is not about a good time, but a, a, a good legacy starts in our mind. How we perceive, how we think, how we process all these moments, and how we uh, process boundaries, and what is far and too far, and what is good, and what is awesome. Like, how could I introduce this person to my parents starts in our mind. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, the verses uh, we've quoted very often as believers, verse 2 says this. That we are to transform our mind, renew our mind. Why? How? By reading the word of God. By having the word of God in our minds, in our hearts, stored inside our very bones. So when we, are, when we have to make jerk decisions, that means in the moment. Because you know who you are. You know the will of God. You know his good. It says his good and perfect will. Then you can make decisions that, that allow you to live and love like Jesus. And what's interesting is that these are not things that happen naturally. Because normally, you and I have a disposition where we want to do what we want to do. And so when we talk, we talked about this in the first week, that when we talk about being single, when we talk about uh, being celibate, when we talk about keeping yourself until you're married to have sex, that people will ridicule you. They will make fun of you like you are the weird one. And yet, in all reality, God is fighting for our joy. And so what I say is this, that once you've allowed Jesus into your heart, your mind is changed, your heart is changed. You begin to love what you once despised, what you once made fun of, what you once saw as a loss, 
the waiting game, the singleness game, the being patient game becomes something that you desire and you actually love. You love what you once desired, uh, despised. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What's happened here in this room for those who've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is nothing short of a miracle. And I have to say this at the top of the message because it's going to play out later on, whether you're an unbeliever or not. This message right now, I would hope if you're an unbeliever, this is going to give you a taste of what it means to have the joy of the beloved, to be a Christian, and to have the freedom to do so in a dating relationship. I want you to have the thirst for that and desire that. If you're a believer and you've never heard this before, praise God, this is for your discipleship, for your sanctification, for you to become more and more like Jesus. What's happening here is this. In God changing our hearts, in God pursuing our heart, God is after our heart's affections. He's after the innermost part of who you are, your decision-making space. When you think about that person, you look at them more than a piece of chicken from KFC, not pieces, but you think about them as a whole person. You think about them as a human being with God's imagery, with God's identity, and you begin to pursue them the same way. That's what the Bible, uh, the Bible has, or theologians have defined as the expulsive power of a new affection. Because your affections have changed, because you've loved this God, your affections become new and different. What you used to love, you now hate. This is what's happening in Scripture. Romans 8, 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have, the, have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Ultimately saying this, the mind governed by the flesh is death. That's what happens. If you live according to the ways of death, it will lead to death. You will sow what you reap. If you live according to the ways of life, you will have life. That's Romans 8.6. The next verse. Romans 8.6 says exactly that, that you will have life. Again, God, in giving us these boundaries, is fighting for our joy. Let's jump down to this verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. If you guys ready, uh, if you guys there, say Amen. Amen for the five people who are there. Let's go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It, is, it, is, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But there are prophecies, and they will cease. When there are tongues, they will be stilled. When there is knowledge, it will pass away. Guys, check it out. Like we said earlier in the first sermon, the whole point of us being single till we wait to be married is not just surviving singleness to be married. Does that make sense? Marriage does not make you more holy as well. So the point of our Christian life is not just to be married. The point of our life is not just to let me get married and have sex. That's not the thing. That's not the point. That's not the direction. The point is that God is calling us to holiness. Because in heaven, like it says in that verse, there will be no, mir no more miracles, no more tongues, no more uh, uh, actually like, like these things you're talking about now. There's no more marriage. You won't have a boo thing in, in heaven. Sorry. I'm sorry. It ends here. Wait, hold hands now, okay? Uh, but like it, it's done. In heaven becomes a whole different thing where in the center of all, it, it, it all is God. The sure things we have in heaven 
are going to be clothes, yes, clothes of righteousness, right? So I don't know if it's Versace or whatever, but you'll have clothes. Um, but you'll also have an opportunity to worship God and to bask in his love forever. You'll be in his love forever. And in the Bible, there's four types of love coming off this verse that's quoted so many times. One, storge, which is a familial love. The love I have for my mom or you have for your grandma. How many guys have grandmas in the house? Yay, grandmas. The love you have for your granny. Sweet old granny. Oh, granny. Anyway, then eros. Eros is that sexual love, the love that you see on Titanic that has nothing to do with loving the person but loving people's bodies. It's all about sex. And then you have phileo, which is brotherly love. Have you heard of the place called Philadelphia? It's a place of brotherly love. So that's the love that we have in our community here at Calvary HSM, that people just want to come, and they don't know why, but they want to just be here. They come and they don't feel like there's, there's cliques. They don't feel segregated. They feel seen and loved. That's called brotherly love, phileo. And then you have agape, which is unconditional love. And all these loves play out in Scripture as you keep reading and seeing uh, what God reveals himself and how he reveals himself through the Bible. And agape love is the unconditional love that God has for us. Because that's a love that just loves and loves and loves and gives and gives and gives. That's the love that God has for us. It's the love he calls us to as well. He's called us to have agape love. And after looking at these examples of love, we have to ask ourselves, then what is love? Aaron, what is love? Uh, Oh, see some water. Anyway, love is this. Love is an unselfish decision to seek someone's highest good, even at your own expense. That is love. When you seek someone's highest good, even at your own expense, meaning it's unselfish. It's not about you. It's about other people seeking their highest good. What's the best scenario right now? Me getting this girl home before her curfew at 9 or 10 or 8 or whatever the curfew is, is is, is the best, highest good for me to cross these lines with this person Will their mom or dad be gracious and happy with me? Will they high-five me the next day? Is that the highest good? If you've got a camera with you in that moment, is that the highest good? Even at your own expense, meaning your flesh must die. What you want dies so other people can have their best and highest good. That is love. That is Jesus. That is Christ. Therefore, love is self-sacrificial in his nature. And I said in his nature because love is Jesus. Love is exemplified in Christ. Love is self-sacrificial. So if you're not in a relationship where people are considering you over themselves, it's not love. It's something else. It's not. It's something else, right? So that's where you are. And as you look about this, look at this uh, this evening. You may ask yourself again. Okay, what is dating for? Dating is not for a good time. It's for a good legacy. We all want to hold hands, all right? We we all want kisses. We all don't want to be alone. We have all these things we want to do, but it's about us. We want to have a good legacy, not just a good time. And the question is then, how do we know when we are ready to date? If love is defined by Jesus, the answer then is this, when you are ready to be like Jesus. When you're ready to lay aside your sexual drive, because honestly, that's what's driving you right now. Because none of you guys are ready to buy a house. You can barely buy Takis for yourself, right? You're borrowing money from your parents to take girls out, right? Uh, uh, ladies, man, you're beautiful and all these things. This guy don't know what beauty is. You're about to glow up in a few years, right? He ain't seen nothing yet, right? Like, this is where things are now, but they don't know. They don't know. 
They're unsure. So what I'm trying to say is this. When you're ready to be like Jesus and move beyond what your eyes see and move beyond the physical aspects and all that stuff, when you're ready to live self-sacrificially, that's when you should be ready to date. The question is number two then, how then do we practically date? It's going to be uh, four things we look at. One, we're going to date intentionally. We're going to date in clarity. Uh, there's, there's going to be strategy, and it's going to be timely. Again, intentionality matters, clarity matters, strategy matters, and timelessness. Not timelessness, but being timely matters. Here we go. Again, I told you, I'm going to give you some practical Jesus riz. Here we go. How to date intentionally. Can I get a water if that be a blessing to my soul? Uh, how to date intentionally. Casual dating versus intentional dating. Some people just be casually dating. We're just talking, talking, talking. Your talking is just talking. You just talk too much. There's no point, right? It's just, it's not intentional. Thank you so much. God bless you. We have to date intentionally. Let's look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. When you're just casually dating with no purpose or plan, no actually laid out idea of what you want to do, what you're going, and what you're trying to do, what happens is you are dishonoring the other person. You're dishonoring yourself. It is selfish to do such a thing. And when you think about it, uh, I, I look at, at people who date and get together, and they never ask themselves these real questions. Here's some real questions to ask someone if you're in a dating relationship. One, why do you want to date now? Why? Why do you want to date now? What do you have for us now? What's the purpose of us dating now? And they can probably not answer that question because they have no plan. They just want to have a good time. They're not about a good legacy. Or, here's another one, two, do you love Jesus? <laughs> just like, what? Just the basics. Do you love Jesus? Right? Some people are just like, I do not love this Jesus you're talking about. I don't. And if they don't, well, save yourself the time and break up. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. Just break up. Three, where do you see yourself in 10 years? These are real practical questions. Because where will you see yourself in? These are questions that people who are actually dating with a plan are thinking about. Like who are actually practically thinking about. Because if in 10 years you're like, where are you going to be? Um, I don't know. Maybe in Hawaii. Like, you don't know what you're going to be doing. Like you, you barely know where your socks are. Like your parents still tell you to clean your room and you don't know where your clothes are. Like what's going on? But you want to talk about dating and taking on a whole other human, their responsibility? Really? No. If you can't answer those questions, there's just a few practical questions, there's 10,000 others, then let's, let's, think about, let's think about the real questions in our relationship. Let's not just date aimlessly with no plan. You have to be a person who listens with their ears and also with their eyes. As you're in a relationship, maybe you're, you're in, a, in a space and you're dating practically. Because the reality is this, some people actually do marry their high school sweethearts, all right? Not, no lie. Again, the purpose of this message is not to say being single, super holy, dating, super holy. No, no, not at all. The question is how do you apply the wisdom of God in your life here and now so you can make decisions for a good legacy and not have just a good time? That's a real question. So listen with your ears and your eyes as you're in that dating relationship. Are there red flags? 
are the things that you are not aligned with, that you're not wa walking together in atonement or alignment with, then have your non-negotiable things. Here are some non-negotiables I have for you. You can pick whatever ones that stand out to you. Love Jesus. Love your family. Have all your teeth. Like, these are basics, right? Like, don't, like, don't marry to try to date someone who's on the drug plan. It doesn't make any sense. People who don't take care of themselves, that's not a thing, right? Have some non-negotiables. And these are just a few random ones we just threw up there. Of course, I hope you guys will have your teeth in the room, but whatever, right? Someone who finds you funny, who laughs at your jokes, or thinks your dad is funny at least. Praise God for fathers who have dad jokes, right? Or uh, the question that people ask all the time practically is this then. In their intentionality, right? You have to have intentionality as you make your list. Why? Because if you know who you are and know whose you are, right? If you know all those things, who God has called you to be, then you don't give out discounts, right? It doesn't become a thing where you just lay things out. When someone tries to coerce you or to push you into a, a place where you don't need to be or don't want to be, you can say no. You can say no. And your no will be no. Why? Because you're, you've said it. And your life bleeds the truth of who you are. If people are already trying to put you in compromising decisions, I'm not saying that it's because you're doing something wrong. But sometimes it's like, hey, what are you representing? That your, your standards are low? That Jehovah Nisi really is not your standard? We talked about that a few weeks ago. That if God is our standard, if Nisi is our standard, then we can look to him and we can call him and we can reference him as our points of what we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to be. People ask this practical question. Well, who asked the other out, the guy or the girl? Well, both. In, in Scripture, we see the Bible says where finds a, a wife finds a good thing. That's a man finding. We see Ruth who makes herself available for uh, Boaz to uh, uh, wife her up, honestly, right? Makes herself available to him. And so there are these things happen. That's neither here nor there. The question is then practically, because that's what you want right now. Practically, who pays for the meal? This is not random, right? Here we are. Who pays for the meal? Whoever asks the other out pays for the meal. That's it, all right? If you ask them out, you're interested, pay for the meal. Simple. Move forward. It's not very deeply spiritual. Have a start time and come early. Have a start time. I recommend 90 minutes to the dot. Not 91, just kidding. Uh, why? Because after knowing and sitting down with this person, and this person maybe is not interesting, and you need to escape. Escape. <laughs> if it's 90 minutes... You know for sure that there's a boundary because these boundaries exist for our joy. So we don't feel like we have to give something or do something else. So have a time and come early. Have an end time and keep it. If you say she'll be back by 9 p.m., have her back by 8.45. That's honorable. That's what you want to do to honor these people. Here, practically then, how to date with clarity. How do you date with clarity? I've heard it said that clarity is Kindness, 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says this, that love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. If you're on a date with someone, first of all, a dating, like a date is just a date. It's not dating. It's just one 90-minute sit down, get to know someone. Then you be real with them. I don't think this is going anywhere. That's fine. Yes and no are good answers, okay? Yes and no are great and good and gracious answers, don't play with it like, I don't know, I'm not sure. He's really nice. His eyes are blue. I always wanted a guy with blue eyes. No. Just say no. Or say, I'm thinking about it. And then think about it and give an actual response. Like, go with your community. 
right? Talk to your pastor, talk to your parents, talk to your friends, people who are in your community. For those who are dating, and this is for you, because uh, in some contexts, again, I don't make the decisions in your household, but we're going to give you wisdom in those contexts. In those contexts, invite people into that space and talk about it. Define the relationship. Don't be like, oh, what are we doing? We're just talking. Guys can talk, man. Jeez. There's so many meaningless coffees that you guys be going on, and they're just endless and bottomless, and there's no purpose at all. Define the relationship. Where are we? We've been talking for two weeks. What are we? Why? Does the clarity gives you an ability to move forward because you don't want to be wasting people's time. This is what it says in Ephesians 4, 15. That in, instead of speaking, instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is ahead, that is Christ. Be clear. Just be clear. Because speaking the truth is love. Speaking the truth is love. Brother, I don't think it's going to work out. Girl, I love you, but I don't think it's going to work out for us. Like, I, I love you like, like Storge, family, all right? You like family. You're like, we family, girl. That's, that's okay. And for some of you, what happens is this. You get so caught up with the fear of what this, pers- this person or people would think that you don't want to be real with them. And you're lying to yourself and lying to others. No, just be honest. Be truthful. This is what God is calling us to in Ephesians. He says, for us to be uh, uh, mature and to be a healthy body, we speak the truth one to another in love. Here, we then move to a place where you can invite community into our relationship, where you can confer and talk to people, your small group leader, your pastor, your uh, mailman, I don't know who you guys be trusting in your life, but people who are confidants, where you can lay yourself out and be real, who can handle the extremities of, he loves me this week, he doesn't love me the next week. People who just know you're, you're you, who can be like, on an emotional level, go, you're a two, you're not ready. Bruh, like, you, you don't change your socks after a week, you are not ready. Like, people who just know who you are. Bring people into your community who come into your relationship and and speak life. Proverbs 69 says this, and this is why we need community. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Invite people, invite the Lord, invite the one who is wisdom into our relationships so he can give us clarity and give us a way to move forward. How to date in a strategic way. One, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Again, are you guys noticing this is coming from the Bible? I'm not pulling this out the side of my neck. It's coming from the Word of God. 13.7 says that we are to be a people who love, and our love should protect, trust, hope, and always perseveres. There is strategy. There's planning. There is a game plan in your dating. So how long are we going to be dating? Some people have been dating for like, 10, 15 years with no plan. They're like 50. Why? Why? Because they're about a good time, not a good legacy. They don't want to have actual commitments to lay stuff down. They jerk people around left and right and left and right. Can you meet my parents? Can you not meet my parents? Like, what's going on? Why are you hiding me? Some of you guys have been in relationships where your parents have not met each other. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because there's no community. And where there is no clarity, then you're going to have a lot of darkness And that's where sin thrives. Sin thrives in darkness, in uncertainty, with no strategy, no clarity, no plan. 
Have a love that protects, always trusts, always hopes. Why? Because if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. If you have no goal whatsoever, you will hit no goal whatsoever. And you'll be wondering, why am I in this emotional up and down and up and down where you're meeting a person in two weeks and then another two weeks and another two weeks. You're always meeting different people for endless, pointless coffees. Guys, drink some tea or something. I don't know. Like, switch it up. Like, you're always doing these things with these, with these people, but there's no actual plan for moving forward. Which brings us to this idea of having... Well, let's read this verse first. Ephesians 5.3. It says this. But amongst you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. The question then people ask often, because I'm going to use the B word. You guys ready? The B word. Boundaries. Ooh. Wow. Hit it. That's a bar. Someone clap hands. Jesus. Thank you. Boundaries. What, what, what's up with the word boundaries? Why do we always cringe at the word boundaries? Because boundaries are something that say, hey, there's something better for you, and we want to do things our way. That's why we cringe at the word boundaries. But ultimately, boundaries exist to fight for our joy. When you color within the lines, you have freedom to be who you're supposed to be. That's what happens, because you feel safe. You can feel free to be who you want to be. You don't have to wonder if this guy is going to take you home or not. You don't have to wonder if this girl likes you or not because she's being clear with you. She invited her parents into your life. When she says no, no is no, and it's good, and it's healthy, and it's gracious, it's for both of you. When he says no, that is an awesome no. God's no's are soft kisses of grace. Just take those words and allow them to minister to you in those moments when you are in, at your worst, Ephesians 5, 3 again, because these are improper for God's holy people. I think of David, uh, the King David, who David had boundaries established for him. And for some of you guys, you don't think that you are leaders, but you are exactly that. You are leaders. Where wherever you are, people are looking up to you because you bear the name of Christ. And so here we are. We're like David. You have a role of leadership. David was supposed to be at war. Because he's a king, he's supposed to be leading people. He's supposed to be out there leading the charge against the enemy. But instead, he was at his house. I don't think, honestly, that while David was at his palace, that he just happened to see Bathsheba. Why? Because even in my own life, I plan to sin. Does that make sense? No one just trips in and falls into sin. Oh my gosh, we're sleeping in the car sideways. How'd that happen? Like, that doesn't ha just happen. It doesn't happen that way. You actually plan, you think about it. After thinking about it, you then have a process of actually putting it into action. David is back from war and he's watching Bathsheba shower, brings her in, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, has her husband come back from war. Now, there's a big question there whether she consented or not. I think either way it's wrong. Either way it's wrong. The question is not about consent, whether he said or she said yes. They're not pursuing the holiness of God. And so in this case, what happens is this. He has Uriah come back, her husband from war, has, has him, tries to make him drunk and sleep with his wife to cover it up that she was pregnant. And what happens is, is just amazing. Because this man, even in his drunkenness, decides not to sleep with his wife. His honor and his, le his level and his standard 
was so high that he decided not to even sleep in his household. Then David puts this man Uriah on the front line so he would be killed by the enemy. This all happens in the context of a man who had boundaries but ignores them. The story of grace in David's story is that he repented. He was confronted by his community, by a prophet, and he ends up repenting. And there, there were some actual things that happened from that. Now, did God forgive him? Yes. But there's actual things that happened in his life. Like the baby that he had with this woman, Bathsheba, died. That's, that's a reality. We missed that part of the story. We talk about how he's a man for God's own heart. But check it out. That baby died. That baby doesn't get to see color or smell roses or live a life or go to Westlake or whatever. I don't know if they had Westlake in the Bible. And the point is this. They don't get to enjoy those things. Now, do we know that by God's grace that babies go to heaven when they die? Praise God, they do. David prays about that later on in the Psalms, right? But you don't want to be in a a place where you have to rely on grace that way. Rely on grace as a power to live a godly life. Amen? All right. Here we go. Romans 8, 7 through 8 says this. The mind governed by the flesh again is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God if you're trying to live in the flesh and to push past these boundaries. Because our flesh is hostile to God. So the question then is this. The question is not how far is too far. The question is what would Jesus do? If you're defining love by Jesus and Jesus himself is love and he defines what love is, practically living itself out so sacrificially, the question is not how far is too far. The question is what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in those moments when you are alone and it's dark? Again, sin thrives in darkness. Try to be your best in the light, be the best in community, be the best in places that don't compromise you. Have healthy boundaries. What would Jesus do? And my answer to you is this. He would love first. He would make every effort to make sure that your boundaries are kept. Like we said in Song of Solomon last week, if this woman be, if this woman, talking of uh, uh, his, uh, his, loved, his lover, his, that if this woman be a, 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 a walled garden, then we will put a, a, another wall around her and keep her safe. So if this person, this guy, this girl has boundaries, do your best to establish those boundaries with them. That's what it means to be loving because you're not seeking your own. Some of us, it's just about us and us trying to get jiggy and about to get what we want for ourselves. It's about us. Or if she be a door, then we, and, and this person, this guy, this girl does not have boundaries, then you yourself lay those down for each other. Start with clarity so you can win and have a good legacy. Jesus would love first. Because the question, how far is too far, shows very quickly what the motive of your heart is. That's what happens. Why is that the question? What is, why is that the motive of your heart? To get so close to the line. To dive into or let the wind blow and fall into sin. Why is that the question? Because our heart is not secure in who God has called us to be, and we don't trust God at his word, what he wants to give us as a promise. We don't trust that. What is the motive of your heart? Are you trying to get as much as you can out of that person? 
without the commitment of marriage? Is that loving? I don't think so. If this person is crossing boundaries with you now, trust me, they will definitely cross boundaries in marriage. They will. Why? Because they had no plan when they were dating to honor you, and they'll have no, no plan to honor you while uh, you're in a marriage relationship. They won't. They will not do that. If they're distracting you right now, they'll be distracting you for the rest of your life. It's not going to happen. Because people rarely change in, 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 in macro ways. They change in micro ways, right? There's micro, small things, but not those big things that actually count. And so I'll say this. Ephesians 5.3 says this. Again, these are improper for God's holy people. There's not be no hint, not even a hint. Not like the water, but just not even a hint of any kind of sexual immorality. Why? It's not right for God's holy. There's a word again, holy, distinct, different, set apart, God's people. If you call yourself a Christian, let not people think about you and be like, you guys are confusing. Your PDA is just PDAing too much. Why should that be a thing? Why should that be a question in people's minds? Because if they think and they see you holding or doing all this random stuff right here, what do you think they're doing? People have in their minds will have crazy imaginations down the line of what you're doing wherever when you're alone. I wouldn't trust you with my daughter. I wouldn't trust you with my son because you have no self-control. So he says, let there be no hint of that in your relationship. Why? Because when things get physical, it's very quickly that these things can be very confusing. That's what happens. When things get physical, they begin to be very confusing very quickly. How to date in a timely way. Song of Songs 8.4 says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Meaning there is a time for love. Praise God, somebody. There is a time for love. There's a time for it to be awakened, for it to be a good and perfect and holy and pure time. But don't awaken it, awaken it before it so desires. This is why we need wisdom. We need the wisdom and wisdom and the wisdom of others to help us discern the right time. We need wisdom himself, wisdom personified, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to give us understanding of the time and people around us to determine that. Why? Because if not, we're always caught up in our feelings, like Drake. Always in our feelings. You're trying to text, bro, where, where you at? You're not texting me after three minutes. Are you cheating on me? You're probably not emotionally ready. Bro's taking a dump, okay? He's not on you at all. He's not, right? Or you're, you're trying to text this girl, like, dude, she went to this party with her friends. She's not texting me back. She's put on her makeup. Like, chill. Like, relax, right? Like, these are, we, we, without the actual information, our minds go to the most crazy ideas of what's actually going on. Why? Because we're probably not even emotionally ready for that. You're not emotionally ready for that. And so the timing matters. And there's a time, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, there's a time for everything under the sun. For every season, for every activity under heaven, there's a perfect timing. And what we know about this is this, that this God with this timing is patient, but he's never wasteful, which means 
If you are, we talked about last week about being salty, being a salty saltina, right? Like those people who went to, to uh, uh, the, the, the pool of Mara, that, that well, and began to like have comp complaining spirits and all this stuff. That every moment that, that has happened to you has been a God-allowed thing. It happened with purpose to shape you into God's image. So don't look back at the people you've dated and just be like, oh my gosh, this person was just a... No, God used it. He used maybe your foolishness or in his grace to protect you or to use things that bring you and shape you into who you are today. So everything is perfect in its time. God is patient, but God is not wasteful. Here's a dating equation for those of you guys who are wondering about the right person at the wrong time. Let's go together one more time. Mathematics, I love it. Not really, but here we go. Right person plus wrong time equals wrong relationship. Wrong person plus right time equals wrong relationship. Wrong person plus right, oh wait, wrong person plus wrong time equals really wrong relationship, for real, for real. Um, right person, in the morning someone was testifying on that one. Anyway, um, right person plus right time equals right relationship. So the question is then, who is this perfect person and when is the perfect time? Who is this perfect person? Well, let's see. Here's some things to look at. One, are you compatible? Is this person responsible? And are they intentional? Who do we date? Are they compatible? Like it was said in the video, not all Christian people in this room you're supposed to marry because they love Jesus. That's not the point. There's people in this room who you're just going to be bros and girls. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not that cool. Uh, Like you will just be friends. Like you will just be friends. Some of you literally, and that's very fine, you're just going to have that kind of filial love, a brotherly love one for another for the rest of your lives. That is beautiful. It's amazing to have someone who does not see you as a piece of meat, who does not see you as anything else than who you are and just loves you for who you are. That's a blessing. Be that person. Seek to be that person. Who to date? 2 Corinthians 6, 14, in compatibility, it says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what do fellowship, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I'm going to say a few things for you who are in this room, and if you are a believer and unbeliever, they're going to be very clear. Okay, one, if you're a believer and you're dating an unbeliever, break up. There's no point, because you're not being truthful. You have no real plan. You have no real standard. And if you have no real plan and standard right now, you won't have one down the line. Because if you're breaking that design now, how's that going to look like down the line? Two, if you're dating an unbeliever in hopes they believe, break up. Why? Because what's literally happening is this. The act of someone being a believer or an unbeliever is an act of God. It is nothing short of a miracle. You cannot make people saved. You're trying to date, uh, what's it called, flirt to convert? Ain't going to happen, okay? That's an act of God. Only God can discern the hearts of man. Only God can call out of darkness light and bring life to dead bones. That's what happens. That's an act of God. So what you should do then, in kindness to yourself and to this other person, is to give them space and the grace to not be in that relationship. Three, 
If you're an unbeliever, dating a believer, you need to break up with them now. Because if they're with you in this room and they've heard these truths and they're not holding to this standard, run. Run. I'm not even kidding. Run. People are running right now. Look, just kidding. Uh, But the reality is this. Because these people are, are deceiving themselves. They say they're seeking after God. And they brought you to this place, but they keep breaking those same things over and over and over again, which proves two things. One, maybe they're not supposed to be in a relationship. They're not emotionally mature or ready to be in it. Or two, they'll continue to do that to the end of their lives. And if you want to have a, a good time, your good time that's leading the flesh will bear fruit of the flesh. But if it's a, a, a legacy that is in the spirit, it will bear fruit of the spirit, which is joy and fruitfulness and freedom and peace. The idea that this verse brings to us of a yoke and an oxen is this. They will put these two oxen in a yoke. It's like this wooden thing they put over their two necks. And with their strength, their combined strength, they will plow a garden, plow a field. But if one, one oxen is stronger than the other, you'll always be dragging someone along. And it's unfair for you to put that, that hope of a person to have an actual changed life in their spirit on them, which is an act of God. You can't do that. That's unfair on the unbeliever. Unbeliever in this room, that's unfair to you. Do you really want to do that? See, we talk about how God has saved us and brought us from darkness into light. You're here on a Sunday evening at 5 p.m. You could be anywhere, easily 120 people in this room. Do you want to do this for the rest of your life? To the honor of God? Does that bring, and I say this, and for some of you, you're like, yes, I love God. I love Jesus. I love who he is. He's done a great thing in my life. For some of you, you're like, I don't know what this is. This is crazy. This guy's yelling at us. Why is he yelling? Why is he yelling? (laughs) He asked for water so he could yell more. I don't know. Right? But if this is a thing that brings you joy, then hold on to it. Hold true to it. If it's something that's not for you, then be honest with yourself and say, okay, God, I'm hearing about you. I'm in this room. Help me look and be real with myself. This is why we have small groups. This is why we have leaders here for you to have those good and serious and real conversations with one another. Because if you're not doing so, you're not being intentional or strategic or kind to one another. You are not loving one another. The beauty of dating is that you slowly get to unravel or know somebody and then decide if you can have a good legacy with them. Again, that's the purpose of dating, to find out, to know for sure. As the worship team comes up, I want to give us these verses in conclusion. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. I don't want you to be in a situation where before you know it, you're saying things like, You're not the person I met but you didn't take time to actually know who these people were. You didn't take time to ask, ask the real questions of yourself or ask the real questions of God. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What's happening here is this. God is presenting to you right now in this moment Using this vehicle of dating, kissing, sex, and stuff, life and death. And I beg of you, I implore you, I encourage you, choose life. Choose life. Choose the life of freedom, 
of certainty, of opportunity and ability to say no and have your no mean no and have it respected. To have the freedom to wear what you need and what you'd like to wear and no one look at you and compare you to pieces of flesh. Have the freedom to trust this God with your life because he's either God or he's crazy or he's just a good teacher. He can't be all those things. And if he's a good teacher, then he must be teaching real, honest, truthful, holy, wholesome things. I tend to believe people who rise from the dead. That's my point of reference. I'm sorry. That's what I do. And if this God says he has come to give us life and life to the full, I trust him at his word. In calling us to holiness, this God is fighting for our joy. I'm going to read the scripture that I read last week as we wrap up. It's a benediction from Jude. Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus, who uh, is writing to a faithless people in a faithless time. He writes this to a people who are having lots of thoughts about who they are and where they are and all these different things. Kind of like you guys here and now in your teenage years. Some of you guys are going to go to college. You're trying to figure out what should I do with my last months as a senior? Love the other people who are underclassmen. Teach them the way of Jesus. Pour into them. Live and love like him. If you're an underclassman, look up to those people as well. Hear these words of truth and hold on to them so you can live and love like him and have the freedom that God wants to give us. Jude writes this to these people. He says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, there's no way you're going to do this in the power of your strength. Like I said, this message is to encourage Christians who have trusted Jesus for their faith and for those who have not to have a thirst for righteousness, have a thirst for God so they can do it. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Here, today, and even in glory, things will end, marriage will end, sex will end. All these things will be done. And there will be nothing in contrast to the God who is ever glorious, ever good, ever loving, and ever for us. They will not compare to his beauty and to his freedom and to his peace. So if something or someone's holding you back right now from entering into that truth, make that hard decision and ask God to come into you, into your life, and to break off those things that are holding you back from God's freedom. Because the Bible says he has come to set us free, and he will set us free indeed. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the truth of your gospel and how you have not just set us free from our selfish desires, but it set us free from sin and given us freedom, freedom to be who you've called us to be. Lord, I ask for strength upon the people in this room as they ponder and give their lives to you, Lord God, in consideration of what you have for them in the future, Lord. Let them look five, three, seven years ahead and say, God, I've given my life to you. You have kept your word. You have loved me and given me all of who you are, Lord. Give them strength to trust you to make these decisions in your grace. And now God's people said, amen. We hope that was a blessing to you. You can connect with us on social media at Calvary HSM 805 on Instagram or on our website. God bless you.